I will rejoice, and I'll be glad in it. Amen. You can be seated. As I said, it's really good to see you, to be with you. I believe is God is in the midst of everything that we can think of and, and hear and be communicated to us that does not seem hopeful. God is the God of all hope. And I believe with all of my heart, no matter what we see going on around us, what we hear on the news, what we see in the politics that are going on, it's like the natural veil, but if we look through that, God is doing some incredibly tremendous things. And if he can get us to see a little bit farther beyond the day-to-day thoughts and circumstances that try to permeate our being, if we get into prayer, which I know so many of you are prayers, when you get into prayer, all of a sudden it's like I'm seeing through. I'm seeing through the trouble here. Yes, we may be praying concerning some of the trouble, but I'm seeing through the trouble. And that creates what we talked about this morning, hope. It creates an avenue of saying, you know what? God has got this. Right? God's got this. As we looked at today, you know, and I'm not going to preach on hope, but I just want to encourage you that Paul said, listen, we're standing in some amazing grace. He said it's by faith that we understand and we are standing in this grace. We're not trying to get into it. He says we stand in this grace. And it's such an awesome place and the glory of God, the splendor, the goodness, the presence of God is recognized in that grace. He said, so Paul said, so I've learned something. And again, we said this the other night, but to understand that, and this might be a shocker to all of you, I don't know, but Paul did not write these letters from America. He did not write these letters because he lived in a democracy. When Paul said, wow, I've learned to glory in trouble. He knew what trouble was. When he talked about persecution, he knew what persecution was. When we traveled to Rome, we saw what they, just historically, but they, they you know, act like they pinpointed a place of where Paul was in prison in Rome. And we look at our prisons, and I don't want to be in one, and if you've ever been in jail or whatever, I, I mean... Sometimes people say they're too posh, but they're probably, it's just a bummer to be locked up, right? We're created to be free. But Paul lived through a manhole. Basically, their prisons were down in the sewer where the rats were. And Paul wrote many letters encouraging the church from that place. And so when he says that, he said this What we've learned is going through some trouble causes us to see that God's always faithful. God is there. He'll be with us on the other side. So we stay with God no matter what the trouble is because God has a plan on the other side. And what he's doing is he's producing character in us. And character produces that hope. He said there's a process. So when we look around, when you listen to the news, when you hear the politics of the day, and you're like, oh, man, we're in trouble. Do what the Apostle Paul did and glory in trouble. Why? Because when it looks troublesome, you can thank God that he's got a plan. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. 
Thank God that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, that He's created giftings, He's created callings, He's created strength that is beyond your own strength. When you feel like you can't make it, Paul said, when I feel like I'm just ready to quit, when I got messengers of Satan buffeting me on every side, recounting everything that I preach of the gospel. They come in. It's so frustrating. God, could you do something? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul, something in that moment clicked. And he saw glory in my weakness then. Because I realized that when I'm weak, through the grace of God, then I am strong. And he really tells us that if we're going to go on and beyond just the day-to-day to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish, that it will have to be by grace. And if you try to tackle, if I try to tackle the call of God, the direction of God, what God has placed upon you to minister to others and your family and to accomplish within your calling, a vocation or a talent, you begin to think and be bombarded, my God, this is too much. And you think, how do I juggle all of this? And we start to compartmentalize in our mind, and if you're not careful, you're like, how can I, how am I going to do all this? I, <sighs> but really, you're in a good place, because anytime you can figure it out and you can handle it, we're falling a little bit short of what God has planned. But when his grace comes upon us, we realize, man, I'm handling more than I ever thought I could handle. I'm I'm moving through the difficulty of time more than I ever thought I could. What is difficult for people around me seems easy for me. Why is that? There's a grace that rests upon you. When we start listening to the world about being too busy and it's too hard and it's too... We buy in and we start to say, I can't do this, but... God says, I understand. I've called you to something bigger than you. But I didn't call you to something bigger than you without putting something bigger than you in you. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That spirit who hovered over the face of the deep When God said, let there be light, executed light. When he said, separate the lands, the Holy Spirit. So he said, listen, you may be where you are today, but I put my Holy Spirit in you to begin to create and increase capacity. See, the world's trying to shrink your thoughts of what you can do. The world's pressing in. The world's saying, you can't do this. Watch out when people say, we'll do this for you. To say, you're not big enough. You're not strong enough. Let us do it for you. Be careful of that because God's not saying, let everybody do something for you. He's saying, listen, I've come to live in you to increase capacity so that you can do more than you ever thought you could do. So that you're not just a changer of one department where you work, but you are a changer of families. You are a changer of communities. You are a world changer. I believe right now the worldview is trying to shrink down because of the coronavirus and other things. We're just, and God at the same time, isn't it funny how God seems to always work different than what we see in the natural, where the world's trying to go, 
God's saying, I'm ready to bust out. And if you think about it, the more the world tries to close in and shrink, the greater the place for God to break out and show his greatness. But his desire is not to just do it on his own. His desire is to do it through his church, you and me. Amen? And so I just encourage us again in this day that, you know, and I'll get a little ahead of myself because I've been looking at this, but today I ask you, you know, faith, hope, and love, how's your love walk today? How's the hope on the inside of you today? But I also ask ask you, uh, before we get to next week, but how's your faith confession today? What is it that is in your heart that you're declaring with your mouth today? Is it doom and gloom? Is it, oh my gosh? Or are you declaring what God has said about you, what Jesus has done for you? There's just simple things that can stir your spirit that you begin to declare and begin to say. Mark Hankins says this, confession is the highway by which faith brings its mighty cargo. Right, faith, Confession is the highway by which faith brings its mighty cargo. And you'll just never, never know to wake up and declare what's in your heart. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And through that releases the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. And God says, listen, if I could get you to be triumphant, I could release a fragrance out around you of who I am. I am an overcoming, triumphant God. Thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes, I am healed. He took my infirmities and he bore my sicknesses. And if he took them and he bore them, then I don't have to. He's not given me a spirit of fear, of timidity, but of power and of love and of a well-disciplined mind. I'm not going out of my mind. I have a well-disciplined mind. I'm not going crazy with everything that's going on. I have a well-disciplined mind to think the thoughts of God and to focus on the plan of God, not be distracted and thrown every direction, but I'm focused. Just start looking at that, taking some things, go old school. Print it, clip it, paste it. Get in your phone, on your device, some scriptures that stir you right now at this time to put you over the top and begin to read them and declare them every single day. Declare what God has done for you. Declare what God is doing in you. Declare what God wants to do through you. Begin to declare that I am the walking, talking, living light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you walk as the light, you're going to shine to people in darkness, but also understand you're going to attract a few bugs. And that's what we don't like. If we're shining, it's all of a sudden like, why is all this stuff coming my way? Why is all this junk? Because you're shining as a bright light. Praise the Lord. So I just want to encourage you, if you're watching, today's the day to start declaring what God has said. Today's the day to stir up that expectation that we said today is active hope that you're working on, that you're moving towards every single day. That today is, today is the day to extend your love, not just to those who love you, 
but to others. Come on, I know I'll just say this, and y'all can get mad at me, but I am consistent. We pray for our leaders, whether we agree with them or not. But you want to love challenge, just list the leaders in our nation that give you trouble. And say, God, work in me to extend love to them. Even if you can only pray for them, extend love to them. And when you see them and you're like, Ugh, just reach out and bless them. I believe it'll impact, but it's good for you. It's healthy right now. Amen? On Sunday nights, that's all just kind of review, exhortation for where we are Sunday morning. I believe what we're moving in the direction, uh, they're connected. But Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 21, this is the very last verse of this chapter. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're seeing all kinds of stuff today that if you watch it, you can, if you're, if you're not looking at the word of God, doing things right now today to put up a guard, you could be overcome by all the stuff that's going on, all that you're hearing about. There are people who are overcome. The Bible says that people's hearts in the last days, and just look around if you don't believe we're in the last days, look at what Jesus said about the last days, and we are in the last days. Now, I don't know how long the last days are, but we're in the last days. But he said in the last days, <clears throat> people's hearts would fail them because of fear. But he said, Paul said, don't be overcome by evil. Don't allow your heart to fail you because evil's all around you and you're fearful about how things may turn out, what might come. But overcome evil with good. Again, something that's active, something that we can do today. Not wait till everything gets better and then we can do something good. But no matter what's going on, we can do something good today. And how do we overcome evil with good? I believe that certainly it's all tied together, but we're taking Romans chapter 12 in, in this, this place. And in this case, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, number one way that we overcome evil with good is we give our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. You may say, well, how does giving my body overcome evil with good? Well, he tells us in Romans the sixth chapter, he said, after talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and in that, talking about your and my death, burial, and resurrection, right? If you read it, go back and read it. They, he just talked about grace, uh, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, right? And so if you misunderstand that like they did, you're going to go, okay, so... But really what he was saying is exactly what we're living in right now. When you look around and you think sin is abounding, he said, get ready because grace is bigger than sin. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And they said, well, should we go ahead and sin so grace could abound? He's like, there's enough sin for everybody. You don't need to sin. Right? There's enough sin going on to get grace. You don't need to start sinning just to see grace. <laughs> Come on. They were just people like you and I, Paul punches a message out there in the letter, and they're like, huh, if that's true, where sin abounds, grace is much more abound, and we want grace, then should we sin? He's like, God forbid. God forbid that you would sin. 
He said, did you not know that when you received Christ, you were buried with him in baptism? And after you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised to a newness of life. Then I'm paraphrasing. He said, just like Jesus Christ came and died once for every single person, and he'll never die again, and death will no longer have dominion over him. He'll never come and die again. He's already conquered that. He said, likewise, you've died to sin, and sin should no longer have dominion in your life. How many of you would agree that sin is evil? So he said, listen, evil through sin will no longer have dominion in your life. And he stops right there and he said, or did you not know that as many of you as lend your members, your physical body, over to sin, you'll become a slave of it. But if you give your members, your body, over to righteousness, then you become a slave of righteousness. Or what that means is righteousness, that right relationship with God, rather than your relationship to sin and death governing your life. Come on, sometimes we don't realize that we're just going through life. But our relationship to sin, our relationship to the old man, whether it's guilt and shame or whether it's the habits that we still uh, uh, give ourselves over to, it's working sin and death. And we have a relationship with that. And we give ourselves to that relationship. Or he said, you can give yourself to righteousness, the relationship with God and his word. One of those two is going to govern your decision making. It's going to govern the direction of your life and it's going to govern the outcome of your life. Whether destruction, right, or fulfillment, holiness, fulfillment, all those things. So he said, giving our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, overcomes evil because it's, the enemy is looking to work in you and through you things that are not right. So we give our body a living sacrifice. Amen. Right? The prophet said, God said, who, who shall we send? How are we going to overcome what's in the world? Who shall I send? He said, here am I, use me. Here am I. He didn't say just... Use me theoretically. He said, I'm right here. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I'm available. Right? So one of the ways we overcome evil with good is say, I'm available. What do you want me to do? Now, I know, you know, the old, again, I don't know what, what the word on the street is today, but it used to be, you know what, I'm not sure I want to, I don't, I'm not sure I want to give my heart to Jesus. He might send me to Africa. Young people like to travel today, so they're like, if I get saved, do I get to go to Africa? But there's always something that's something that the enemy's working. Well, if I get saved, then I'm going to have to do thus and such. But where we got that, we don't know. We just have to be willing and say, here am I, God, use me. And so you have to understand the, the tremendous and awesome privilege of saying that if you go to Africa. Which means God is looking around saying, I can't find anybody who's saying, use me to go to Africa, so thanks for volunteering, I'll send you. But if everybody was saying, here am I, use me, he'll say, you know what, I got people going all over the world, what I need you to do is go into your workplace and live this life and tell people about my goodness. Jesus said, I'm available. I'm, I'm going there anyway. <laughs> Come on. It's simple. I know we don't think it is. 
Well, here am I, Lord, use me. Oh, if I say that, he's going to send me to Africa. No, he might just send you to work. <laughs> See, sometimes the enemy just bogs us down with stuff going, oh, man, here am I, Lord, use me. He's like, really, you mean it? Yeah, I'm a little leery about going overseas and traveling. He's like, it's okay. I just want to use you where I already got you. I just need you to be willing for me to use you. Right? So we just say, here am I. Use me. Number two, renew your mind to the word of God. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Praise the Lord. Last week we started, we talked about this, and Jonathan talked about it. Um, number three, in order to overcome evil with good, you are going to have to humble yourself. I'm going to have to humble myself. He said, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, God is able to exalt you. And we begin to understand that pride cometh before a fall. Pride cometh before destruction. The Bible says, then we understand, listen, evil begins to work in that place of pride in our hearts, that place of competition, that place of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. The devil gets a stronghold there that keeps us from accomplishing what we could because we always start in pride to compare whether I'm better or worth, whether I deserve it or not, whether I should be chosen over somebody else. Look at me, and the enemy can work with that. He said, if you'll humble yourself, I have a plan, and if I can get you to admit that my plan is better than your plan and humble yourself to my plan, I can put you in places with influence that you never, ever dreamed of. Come on. So the enemy is trying to keep you from where you need to go by limiting you by what you can think about yourself rather than what God knows about you and what God is doing in you. And pride will limit us, but humility. And it seems so weird because we think of humility as like, oh, I'm not anything. I, I can't do anything. So we think, well, how in the world does that get to be bigger? And how does that overcome evil? It seems like it's shrinking down to evil. No, true humility doesn't shrink down to evil. True humility says, uh, in and of myself, I can't do it. But God, I submit to you because you can. You can do all things. I can do all things, not of my own volition, not of my own strength. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it doesn't matter. Paul was just saying in a matter of humility, he's saying, listen, I, I'm so humbled by your gift, but I'll tell you what, I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have nothing. And I've learned that from here to there and everywhere in between, I can live. I am content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to be at the pinnacle of my life to say it's good and everything's good with me and God. I don't have to be at the bottom of the pit to say, whoa, I had to go to the bottom to find God. He said, wherever it is, top or bottom or in between, I can live there because I humble myself to the one who strengthens me. We don't know what's going to take place. Things might not look like they used to look. They might not look like we thought they would look. But no matter how they look, church, 
We can do it. No matter what tomorrow looks like, you can get through tomorrow if you humble yourself and say, I'm going to get through this, not because I can figure it out, not because I can control it, but I can get through it because I'll be content because Christ will strengthen me. And I humble myself to that power rather than my own. And he's getting somewhere with this understanding how to humble ourselves. Because he says in this, he says, for I say, verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God's doing something in you to stir you to trust him. God gave you the wherewithal to say, yes, I trust you. He gave, he said, I don't know if I could, I could do that. You can. He put the choice on the inside of you. He made you unique amongst all creation. You are not driven by instinct. You're not driven by the weather and the time and, and, and those things. You're, you're, you're moved and, and directed in your life by choice. And understand this, faith has everything to do with choice. I believe the truth or I choose to believe a lie. He said, I put a measure of faith in you to believe what I have done in Christ Jesus and what that has done to you and how it will elevate you over the old nature and bring you into a newness of life with new giftings, with new strengths, with new callings, with new place, with a new community, with a new family called the body of Christ. I've done something in you, and if you will humble yourself, what I can do in you and through you will be more amazing than you ever dreamed possible. He goes on to say this in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. It's been the lifelong struggle, whether locally or universally, how we figure out our place as a member of the body. And again, just for analogy's sake, it's incredibly difficult for us to humble ourselves and say, dear Lord, what if I'm the big toe in the body? God, please make me the nose. Please make me the eye. Please make me the hand but not the big toe. Either I got to be in a sock and a shoe with all the sweaty stuff and the toe jam and the stuff, or I got to be on a sandal and get in the water and the mud and the dirt and the dust and the sand. I mean, come on, get me up out of the ground. Get me up where I can see. Get me up where people can see me. He said, but don't you understand that without those toes, the body's in trouble, has no balance. I don't want to be balanced. 
I want to be the finger pointing. Come on, God. He says, listen, there's something amazing to moving the body with balance. There's something amazing in the strength of your toes working together to push you forward in a race that nobody sees, that nobody knows, that it seems insignificant. But just break those toes off. Just do something to them and try to walk and try to run, and you'll find out how significant they are. We find that so many times with prayers. We find that with helpers of all sorts. They think they're insignificant, and sometimes we as a body, we don't notice them, but all of a sudden, they're not here, and we're like, wait a minute, what's going on? We think about the importance, and even now as I say it, it's just so low on the totem pole of spiritual things, I don't know. It's just an analogy. But nobody really noticed or anything, you know, with all of the enthusiasm, with all the fire, with all the preaching, with all the support that Pastor Brian brought to this body, the one thing he did every single week that nobody would know, nobody would care except for when he left, everybody cared and said, my God, it's hot in here. Is somebody going to turn the air on? Or my God, it's cold. Is somebody going to turn the heat on? What he did for you every single day that nobody knows is he watched that little thing over there and made sure you were comfortable. Just because he did. And you don't know it until you're sweating and you're like, is somebody going to do something to make me comfortable? Because, see, you don't know. Sometimes you don't know things happen, and worship goes, and all of a sudden there's a sound problem, and there's something, and you're like, could those guys just get it together? And you don't know that at midnight they're calling around, trying to arrange schedules because somebody got sick, somebody couldn't come, the canyon was closed, something happened, and they make total adjustments and arrangements to be here to worship you, and you're like, couldn't they just hit the right note? You don't know, I'm just being nice to everybody, just hang in there, (laughs) talking about humility and how the body works together. You don't know when you start texting everybody, when you're on Facebook and live streaming, could somebody put the scriptures up there? Well, you don't actually know what it takes to get the scriptures on the screen. You take for granted that I speak and they appear. They work hard. I, you know, actually, I didn't even realize because they would just, they gave me so much slack before the COVID thing. They're just like, you know, could you, they would, they would wing it. They were really good. We had different equipment. They would slap it up there at a moment when I'd read it. They're, they're just that good. But then it hit and we, we changed some equipment. They're like, uh, could you get the, could you get your scriptures to us ahead of time? And I was used to walking out here when worship started and giving them a list of scriptures and they would whip it up there and I'm like they said well I said so okay how can I help you when do you need them by of course it was pre-recorded at that time so they said uh, three o'clock on Friday I'm like um, wow I mean I'm prepared but things come together for me a lot just as I'm praying and so I worked on that. I got that pretty good because it was a necessity. That was going on. We had taping. And so that went, and I got more lax until last week. 
They got the scripture at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. I woke up and realized, I thought, you know what? I'm tired. I, I, I'll put that together in the morning. And God woke me up and said, what are you doing? They won't have this in the morning. So I thought, I couldn't sleep. So I got up, put all my message together at 2 a.m. I sent it, and they had it. But they had a few glitches, and people are like, what's going on? Well, what you don't know is they're not going to say, well, Pastor Mark actually didn't do what he was supposed to do. <laughs> You're just going, uh, my words aren't appearing. And I'm not being harsh. I'm just saying this, or pay, there is a Bible. You see how dependent we've come on somebody? Get those words on the screen. Why? Because I didn't bring my Bible. We might be better to bring our Bible. Come on, every single member is important. I mean, the people who serve in leadership, they work incredibly hard. The people who adjust and get people out in the parking lot, the greeters, all those people within the body. But then, then we think about, we're not even thinking about how everybody goes to work every day and what God's doing with them and through them to build the body. We don't think every day that, you know what, somebody's coming. You know, we may have families come to church because Cassandra has game on camps and she ministers to families and, and young people go, wow, this is cool. And the word's there and they're like, hey, you know what? I'm, and we meet them at church and we're, we're just take for granted. They showed up, but they didn't because she obeyed God and she put her heart and her strength and her ability and dealt with kids day in and day out. And you think, well, she does that because she loves kids. Even people who love kids, you got to understand, they're still kids. People who serve, even greeting, they've been to work all week and have family all week, and they show up in the morning with a smile on their face to say, welcome to New Creation Church. We're glad you're here. And you might go, it's not that great. But they're still like, we love you. Jesus loves you. Welcome. Every member of the body is incredibly important. So why do you say that? Because the importance of it is so incredible that if we don't humble ourselves, we think, I want to be the mouthpiece. I want to be the eyes. I want to be the nose. I can just tell you from somebody who has washed the floors in the church and prayed and said, God, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good, good news. And I'm washing this floor. And everybody who walks over this floor, I'm just believing they're going to have an experience with God. As I'm vacuuming and, and, and looking at the chairs, everybody who sits in these chairs is going to hear the word of God when Pastor Craig preaches and they're going to get born again. I'm just declaring it right now. Amen. And singing and dancing where nobody can hear me while I'm vacuuming. Just like a big toe in a sock and nobody knows. I can tell you some days, and, and, and again, don't anybody go like, oh, I'm just giving you an example. Some days, I'd rather be back in that sock, vacuuming the floor, praying over the chairs than being seen and critiqued. Right? If God's called you to do that, he's gracious you to do that. But sometimes people think that's where I want to be, but you're not sure. And if we humble ourselves and know that what God's called us to do is incredibly important and incredibly powerful, because we're going to get to something that I, you're going to get to something where God's called you that I can't get to. You say, well, what's that? The heart of somebody 
that I won't know. We can get a broad sweep. Everybody who's watching right now, everybody who's in here right now, Sunday morning, 8 30, 10 30, 6 o'clock, everybody who's viewing, I can get a broad sweep. But there's people that you work with, people in your neighborhood, people there that aren't even on that broad sweep that you can get to that I'm not going to get to. And you say, well, I'm just a big toe, but you're a big toe smelling things up at work. You're releasing a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere you go. Well, I don't know if nobody, anybody notices me. And the people at work, they don't even want to know about Jesus. Well, you don't ever know until they know. And you have to think about it. And I've said this before. Some of you in this room, it's a little bit more limited if we had the whole church here. I know, in fact, I could point out that you are somebody's least likely to ever get saved. They worked with you, and they came in and said, man, I'm working with this person, and they don't want to know God, and they don't care to know God, and I don't know why God put me there. And we prayed, and we prayed for you, and we prayed for people like you, and we encouraged that person, go ahead, this is where God's called you, and they may be persecuting you, they may not, but you just keep living it, you just keep lighting it up. And all of a sudden, one day, you came in and gave your life to Jesus. Why? Because somebody that you worked with shined as a bright light. They prayed for you, they shared with you. It was a place the eyes, the nose, and the mouth, so to speak, weren't going. But you, the big toe, the little finger, you were going. And it changed somebody's life forever. And so we humble ourselves so that the grace, which is so phenomenal that puts us in our place, can begin to work effectively in growing the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so many of you know this, but just stay with me as, as we communicate. This is such an important thing to us, and sometimes we lose sight of it. I have to say sometimes in day-to-day -day life and teaching and moving between, you know, the salvation of souls, which we cherish so very much, and preaching the very basics of the blood of Jesus and getting saved and then equipping the saints. But our vision is every member in their place. How do we help people understand and humble themselves and not have to have the platform or have the, the visibility? How do, we under, how, how do we help people understand that you might be in your place in the body? Maybe working on Sunday and serving in an area that nobody knows and nobody gives you credit for, but you're just all in. God, if you need me in the nursery, use me. If you need me in children's ministry, ministry use me. If you need me in the new Awana, use me. If you need me in prayer, use me. I know nobody's going to know it, but here I am. Use me. Because if you put me there, you plan on me working together with you, God, to help change lives and grow the body. And your place is significant. To use a word and coin a phrase that we have today, it's essential. It's essential. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We get confused. Am I a member or am I the body? Are we one or are we many? Are we? He said, this is the thing you're going to have to slow down, trust God, humble yourself, and know that you are unique in who you are 
but you are not disconnected from the body. The moment your uniqueness to you is so unique that you disconnect from the body is the day that you have no life of the body. But the moment you see my uniqueness, I give that to God, I humble myself, and he fits me in the body. It becomes important, not just to me, but to the whole body. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek or whether slave or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if there were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Now listen, we're about to go into this, but right now he is speaking to you. You cannot say, because you're not me, you're not of the body. That's what he's saying right here. He's saying, you, members of the body, you cannot say, because I don't feel like anybody notices me because I'm not what I want to be or I'm not what somebody else who's noticeable is, I must not be of the body. The body of Christ is scattered throughout the valley. The body of Christ is scattered throughout the earth with people who said, nobody recognized me, therefore I'm not going. I don't feel like I'm a part. And he said, there has to be a revelation in your own heart first that you are a member of the body. No matter whether anyone else sees it, recognizes it, acknowledges it or not, you know, God called me here, I'm a member, and you ain't getting rid of me. I am a part of this body. And it's important. He said, because listen, if we were all the same thing, if you were all Pastor Marks, which you don't want to be, I know that, but... If we were all Pastor Marks, then where would all of you be in growing and taking it out to the community? Right? If we were all just going and taking it out, where would be the foundation and building? Where would be the teaching? Where would be the exhortation? Where would be the declaration to fuel and equip you to do that? It's working throughout the body. He's saying there's not one or the other. And then he comes to us, which is you, but it's us. So he covers. Paul is amazing. By the Spirit of God, he covers everything. He says, so then the eye cannot say to the hand, we don't need you. So you can't say they don't need me, and we can't say we don't need you. Man, if we just had that knowledge and we humbled ourselves to say, God, here am I, use me, and I'm coming to where you called me to do, and they can't get rid of me. Because I'm fitting in the body. I'm not some odd growth on this body. I am a member of this body. And then if we all looked and said, every single person is important, 
Whether we see what they're doing or we don't see what they're doing, every single one is important and we need you. If we knew every member of our body and what it actually did and how it did it, it would flip us out. The unseen parts, he goes on to say this, he said the unseen parts are critical. There's parts in your body that you probably don't know about unless you study medicine that you don't see and you would never think about ever, 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 ever even think about until they stop working. And then you're like, something is wrong with me. And when the doctors go in, they may find the very smallest of members and say, this very small member is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And you'll say, what is that member? And when they tell you, like, what does it do? What does it even do? And they start explaining to you what it does, and you're like, oh, my gosh. How are we going to get that working? I think with technology and medical science, for some of us to try to understand the body has done us an injustice because they say, we'll just go in there and take that out. You don't need it. Which isn't true. If God created it, it's supposed to be there. The fact that they could remove it and keep the body working without it, thank God that if it's, it's not functioning and it's detracting from the body, God's created that. But to just say, hey, you don't need that. No, there's a reason for it. God created it. He didn't make a mistake. You're not a mistake in God's plan. He said the deal is, is in order to figure out where I am in the plan, sometimes I have to get pride and tell people, listen, I'm a member of the body. Look at here I am. And he says, no, you don't need to do that. I put something on the inside of you that when you cultivate it, it will actually make room for you to fit exactly where you fit in the body. When we do, the whole picture comes together. Back to Romans chapter 12. If we're going to overcome evil with good, we've got to give our body a living sacrifice, renew our mind, humble ourselves, and serve with grace. And so he begins to talk to us about these members of the body that actually do what? They serve the body. When the body is full grown, the body serves a community. The body serves the world. If the body's struggling, it's just trying to keep itself going, and it can never have great outreach. It can never really grow by bringing people into the body and grow the body because we're reaching out and we're, we're, we're growing the body, but we're always trying to cycle and fix and repair and mend. We're not... You know, we become a hospital to those in the body rather than a strong body lifting and doing the heavy work. I don't know if you saw it or not, but Pastor Kevin Cooley was with us, and he, he had a word for us while he was sitting here, and he just said it's time to expand more. It's time to lift heavier. It's time to lift heavier. It's time to take on some things in our capacity, in our strength as a body. I know you're going like, what is that? Well, we start where we are. How can you lift heavier? If we're all reaching out and we're bringing in and we're, we're, we're taking on things, we'll lift more. I believe God's going to show us as leaders how we lift heavier and we do more. 
But if we're always trying to just repair because we can't lift heavy because we're out of shape and we're not working, we will not be able to lift heavier and reach a lost and a dying world because we're always trying to fix ourselves. But once we realize we're members of the body individually, but we're connected and we're working together, little and small, small and great, seen and unseen, whatever you want to say, we humble ourselves. It's humbling to be in charge and it's humbling to not be noticed. If you really get into Christ, you're like, wow, why did you put me in charge? I just soon be not seen, and everybody who's not seen is put me in charge. It gets to be crazy. And then we just get to that place that I'm glad I'm not just totally not seen, and I'm glad I'm not in charge. I'm just comfortable. But that's this thing right here on your natural body. <laughs> Come on. The part that says, I'm vital, keep me in shape. I mean, we're seen or unseen. And then the parts that say, listen, we're going to get you in shape. We're going to work you out. No, don't do that. But we're going to get you lean and mean. But it's the part that says, listen, I want to be seen, but I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to be in charge, and I don't want to be unseen. That's this. Everybody gets to see it, and it's not doing nothing except for sitting there. And I'm just telling you, nowhere in here do we see it's very productive to be the spare tire in the church. All right, I got to get moving here. I don't know. I'm kind of stuck in my brain. I have all kinds of things going on in my, my head right now. Romans chapter 12. Oh, man, I get all kinds of visuals. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, you're important. Oh, my gosh. That's not Romans chapter 12. Come on. Okay, sorry for everybody who's watching online. We're doing good here, but probably not coming across as good there. All right. So listen, he says, then, verse 6, we serve, we understand we're the body, we serve with grace. He says, then, having then gifts differing according to what? According to your knowledge, according to your talents, according to your abilities, no, according to the grace that is given to us. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. I'm going to go through these pretty quick, but understand this is a limited list to bring across the point that the body is functioning on many members and many levels. So when he talks about prophecy here, if you study this out, they're really not talking about the foretelling type of prophecy. They're talking more about when, when he says, declare the word of the Lord. He's talking about those of you who are set and you know your grace to declare the word of the Lord, do it in proportion to your faith. Sometimes people want to preach and teach and they just grab something, the newest message that they heard that's going to wow people and get people. He says, don't do that. Don't grab something that you don't even know, that you don't even believe in, but it's just going to wow people. Don't 
prophesy, don't proclaim, don't preach that way. If you're called to preach, don't preach somebody else's message to wow somebody, but preach in proportion to the revelation one. I was studying this. He said, he broke it down. He said, what Paul was saying is if you're called to preach or to prophesy, right? Prophecy is a big thing that moves. Everybody's got a prophecy. Everybody's got something. But right here, he's saying, if you're gifted within the body to proclaim the word of the Lord, don't just do it. He said, do it in proportion. It's a mathematical statement that you add to your preaching what it is that you truly have revealed to you that your individual faith can grab onto. Right? So if you're called to preach or to prophesy, God's going to reveal things in the word to you to convey. But when he reveals it to you, the moment he reveals it, you might go, huh. And he's going to keep revealing. And as you develop faith, I believe that. I've seen that work. That's true. He said, then you're going to be helpful to the body to proclaim that word. Why? Because that word is declared in faith. And faith is catchy. Right? You don't want to proclaim a word just because it's going to impress people. But we proclaim a word so that people can latch on to it and believe it. Because the just live by faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen? So a lot of people say, you know what, I, I, I think this is me, I want to prophesy. And what they want to do is tell people what God is saying about their future, but he's really talking about something different here. He's talking about that proclaiming of the word of God. He's talking about something that brings edification, exhortation, and comfort to people. Sometimes, as Paul told Timothy, it'll bring correction and instruction, but the primary thing is to encourage and to inspire and to build people to say, here's where we're going. If they won't go, then there's correction and direction that needs to be brought. But it's that place of proclaiming the word of God, faith being instilled, inspiration moving to say, I can do that because I believe God. So if you're like, you know, I really can't do that, then you don't need to get into that lane or think that you are that member of the body. And it's okay. We're going to get into the word ministry here pretty quick, but... Most of the time when things start stirring in us, we start talking about, I have ministry, and I have my ministry, and we're viewing it like this, again, being the seen, not the unseen. We're talking about what's my pulpit and what's that place, and again, I'm not coming against all that. I'm just saying sometimes there's just places where you realize my faith isn't there. My faith is here. What God's doing is here, and nobody else may know it. Nobody else may see it. But it's happening. I talked about a couple this morning who, who saw the schools and the things going, and they said, you know what? We can do something right now for our kids and their friends. And they started a, a monthly youth group basically at their house to embrace, to love the kids, to give a place for they, where they can fellowship, be exhorted. And they don't care if anybody sees it or knows it, just if the kids can get help. Say, but they did. people did see it, and you even announced it. Are you going to announce my thing? They didn't ask me to. I went and saw it. And they don't care that I did. And they won't care tomorrow if I did because they're still going to do it next month and the next month because they're not concerned with whether they're noticed. They only want to reach those young people. 
Prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Understand, this is grace, right? So it's not about your ability, your training. There's something to it that is the grace of God. I know I have in the last 29 years, but I trust in God a lot, sometimes too much, (laughs) to stand up here and allow the Spirit of God, by His grace, to help me. Sometimes we can figure it out and do it in our strength, but it's by grace. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. This word ministry is the Greek word serving. Serving. We're like, what's my ministry to serve? By virtue of definition, when they say, what's my ministry? Where would you like to serve someone? Oh, I don't want to serve. I want to be a minister. Serve in the church? No, no, I want to be a minister. You just said, see, we don't understand. Some of these words are churchy. (laughs) You just said, I don't want to serve. I want to be a servant. I don't want to serve. I want to know my ministry. I don't want to serve. I want to know where my servanthood is needed. (laughs) Isn't that funny? How we change words to mean something that God... He said, listen, if you're called to serve others, do it. Do it by the grace of God. Do it, love it, humble yourself, just serve others. There's so many ways to do it. Andy over here has a heart to get people free from drugs and alcohol. And so there's just things that nobody else knows about. People calling him, people coming over to his house and saying, I'm ready to get free. Can you help me get free? And everybody might not know it, but Andy is incredibly moved when people come. And he's, he has that opportunity to serve them what he knows about freedom from drugs and alcohol. Is that right? There's a great deal of fulfillment in that. He's humbled himself. He's connected to the body. He's so connected to the body. But it's at his house that somebody rings the doorbell. And he doesn't say, well, let's go over to the church so I can minister to you. No, he does it right there. Because it's so important. Pointing out these people, if I don't point you out, don't be offended. I know you all are doing things. I'm just trying to point out that we're together here, and I may be here behind this, but day to day I serve in different ways that nobody even knows about. You serve in different ways that nobody knows about, but never discount that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God is working in you. God's developing things in you. He's going to bring things to the forefront when it is influential and will change lives. So stick with it and stick connected, stay connected to the whole. He said, he who teaches with teaching, this seems redundant, but he's just trying to make a point. Stay in your lane. If you're a teacher, teach. Sometimes we think, well, I'm a a school teacher. Sometimes people just think, boy, I saw this, and I could just break this down. And you might have a class that you teach. But you know the way that you get a class that you teach? By going to coffee with somebody and sitting across the table, and they're like, you know what, I have a question. And you're able to take that gift and teach them about that question. To be honest with you, when I moved here to help out with the church, there were just things. I was working construction. But I'll never forget the girl in Arby's. Because I, I was single, I lived by myself. So Arby's is 
Well, it's kind of where it is now, but it was gone for a while. And so I went to Arby's a lot, man. Beef and cheddar with Arby's sauce. Awesome. But there was a young girl behind the counter, and so uh, she worked there a lot. So I would come in nightly. And I'll forget, I mean, I was always just trying. I was coming and going. So one day I went over, I took my stuff to the table, and I sat there. And, she, you know, she's coming over, busting the tables. Wipe, and so she's wiping hay. And so I'd been there enough that she's like, knows I'm there regularly. And she's wiping the table, and she sits down, and she says, what's your deal? So what do you mean, what's my deal? You come in here every night. Well, I'm here. And all of a sudden, we start talking about Jesus, and she gets born again right there in Arby's. And at that moment, I thought, why am I here working construction? I went to Bible school. But I was here for that girl. I worked construction in Vail, and the lady that worked in our tool room came to know Jesus. We had a Bible study every lunch in the charter at Beaver Creek in the rooms that we were working on. I wasn't pastoring yet, but I was pastoring. Where I was that nobody knew about except for those people, there was something going on. I'm just telling you and encouraging you, I know that you're doing that. I know so many of you are doing that. Things are, lives are being changed. I'm just saying don't discount it because God's doing something and moving you forward. If you discount it, God can't move you forward. He can't more deeply connect you and create the body and the synergy that goes into the body if we're not saying, well, I'm a teacher. I need a place, a class. No, you can teach wherever you are. If you're a teacher, that's what a teacher does. A teacher teaches. A dog barks. A cat meows. A teacher teaches. <laughs> we all know this. A preacher preaches, and he takes a long time. All right, let me finish. <laughs> he exhorts in his exhortation, right? Exhorters feel goofy about exhorting, and so eventually they're like, oh, I wish I was a teacher, and teachers say, I wish I could exhort, and, you know, preachers wish that they could teach, and he says, like, just stay in your lane. Your grace to do something. Preachers preach, teachers teach, exhorters exhort, and we're going to cover a lot. But if exhorters want to preach and that's not their grace, and preachers want to teach and that's not their grace, and teachers just want to control everything, it doesn't work. We all stay in our lane. He who gives, we usually get over this. I'm called to prophesy. I'm called to teach. Are you called to give? Give what? Give your money. That's a ministry? Yeah, it's absolutely a ministry. It's a grace of God. To meet somebody whose grace is actually giving, it's incredible. I've been in places. Uh, this week we're supposed to go down. Uh, John and Lisa Bevere's. I've met in their, they're raising money to get stuff in the hands of people all over. In 35 minutes last year, they raised over $2 million for missions in 35 minutes. Resources to go to the country of China, one province of China, how much it cost them. Somebody will stand on a table waving an umbrella to get attention because there's going to be 10 other people say, I want China! 
for tens of thousands of dollars. And you sit here and go, huh, that sounds a little kooky to me. Because you probably don't have the grace of giving. But there's people who have the grace of giving who say, where can I give it? God's anointed me to make it so I can give it. And you all are generous. I believe there's givers here. There's people who are developing that. So where do I start? Well, you start with your tithes and your offerings. But if you want to start expanding, right, just start talking to people. Talk to Cassandra. Say, how can, is there something I can help you with financially for Game On Camps and your ministry? And how's it going right now? Since you're not traveling, how can I help? Tony, you can contact her. Different missionary things. Most of the time when we get to that, most Christians are like, yeah, that ain't my gift. I'd rather prophesy. Well, let me tell you, if that's your gift, it is extraordinary the grace that will produce the amount to give. I've seen it. It's extraordinary. If that's your lane, whew, you don't want to miss it. Those who lead with diligence... That means with haste, with focus, with determination. If you're going to lead somebody, lead. Be focused on it, be determined, and move forward. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So often we give mercy because we have to. You told me I have to forgive people. You told me to be merciful. But he says, listen, when your grace is mercy, you do it cheerfully. Man, I'm glad to loose you and loose me. I'm happy. Praise the Lord. Why did he say humble ourselves? Because if you start operating in these graces, they will take you beyond your own strength, and the devil will try to get you in pride about your ministry. But he has all connected us all. We are not separate from the body, right? We are all in the body. So he says, when we humble ourselves, God can work those graces to bring everyone up, not just one or two. So we humble ourselves. And in that, what do we do? We build the body. We build that character. We overcome evil with good. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. Thank you for your word. It's truth. It's life.